Welcome back to Behind the Play. My name is Alex Adams, and today I'm very excited to introduce Caitlin McGrath, who covers the Blue Jays for The Athletic. Thanks so much for, for coming on and taking the time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Um, I want to first ask a little bit about your career. And when did you first think you might want to pursue a career in, in sports journalism and writing? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it was writing at first. Um, I remember growing up watching like sports center with jay and dan mm -hmm. basically every single morning <laughs> uh probably elementary school and into high school and i think like in one sense i thought like that would be a really fun job to do like i was really into sports i was really a big leaf fan in high school mm -hmm. i remember like being at school and i don't even know what kind of cell phone i would have had um <laughs> But like, I remember like just trying to check like trade deadline day and stuff and being in high school. And, you know, I went to an all girls high school, so oh. it wasn't there wasn't like a lot of uh, not to say like girls aren't into sports. They are. But I mean, like it there wasn't a ton of other girls in my friend group in particular, like wasn't really into sports. So I was kind of alone in that. And so it was just kind of a passion that I had. Um and I also remember being like really young and like collecting like newspaper clippings of like sporting events, like especially like big sporting events or like keeping um, front pages of things, which my mom always did with like just world news and stuff like that. And then I would like make scrapbooks of like Olympics um, just to like, I don't even know why I just like mm. was really into kind of like recording sporting events even if it was just like through other just collecting media and so I think like once I got a little older and started to think about all these little clues along the way I was like oh I always really wanted to do this but I, at the time like I wasn't like oh I want to be a newspaper writer or like I want to be a writer I just like sort of always followed sports media very closely and even like be like I remember participating in sports but I was never like very good. Like I was never like ever going to be able to like play sports in university or yeah. anything. So I think like to maintain like one foot into in that world, uh, getting into sports media made a lot of sense. Um, but I didn't like instantly come to it. I honestly actually started out going to business school and realizing okay. and yeah. it was not for me at all. And then changing course and basically enrolling in English and then a lot of writing courses and then making my way towards journalism that way. And and so when you decided to kind of do a full core press, like, was it, did you want to be a baseball writer, go to baseball? Was it anything in sport? What were you looking at at that time? No, it was honestly, and it's actually funny, like, again, even when I started to pursue journalism, I didn't automatically go to sports or maybe there was a part of me that not like totally resisted it but just wanted to really keep my options open so I remember doing like the student newspaper at Western and I was initially did start in sports and that was the first um, editor job I got was sports editor and I did sports basically all throughout university student media that was like the one thing that I I mean I branched out a little bit here and there but certainly like the thing that rooted me with the campus paper was definitely like being a sports writer and then I went to journalism school at Western and uh, at journalism school they're trying to teach you more sort of just like basic news writing and so 
at, at least my school, I know there are specialized sports media programs, but at my school, at least it was very like, they're just teaching you the basics of news mm-hmm. writing and TV and, and radio. So there wasn't an, any sort of option to like specialize in sports. And so when I was in journalism school, I did really um, gain kind of a, a an appreciation for news. And I remember when I was in journalism school, the big story in Toronto, not that I went to school in Toronto, but I interned in Toronto during school. And the big story at the time was like Rob Ford, um, yeah. the, the, the crack smoking scandal and all that stuff. So that was happening when I was in journalism school. So I think that also really like influenced me that I thought, oh, doing like local news, city hall reporting, like that would be really cool. And when I did my internship, at the Globe and Mail during school, I did focus on like local news and I did do city hall and all this kind of stuff. And so I really liked that as well. And then just again, to keep options open when you're applying to all these different internships, the the majority of them are news-based. Very few, there are a few here and there um, that are maybe sports focused, but the large majority were news. And so the ones that I ended up getting were news. Um, based. And I did a summer at CBC where I interned there. And again, it was one of these things where I was technically news, but I would sort of, (laughs) I would sort of lean towards not just, not necessarily sports pitches, but certainly sort of more like active stories. Like I remember doing a story on like a local guy that was like handing out bike lights for people. (laughs) And um, I did do like one story when I was in Ottawa, I spent some of my internship Mm -hmm. in Ottawa and I did a story like on CFL players coming in like touring parliament. Um, And so I did end up like sort of leaning towards sports or like when some, when maybe the editor was like, who wants to do this one, I would put up my hands. Um, And so I would say like, it's not that I ever resisted being a sports reporter. It was just like, I maybe didn't like look at the clues totally closely (laughs) until it kind of really hit me in the face and I got my first job in sports media. And then I was like, oh, okay, this is probably where I was heading all along. It's just, I had to try different things um, and sort of make my way there. And I'm I'm glad I did. I I enjoyed sort of doing a lot of different things when I was coming up in the industry, I guess. And and when you got that first job, was it in baseball? Was it in, what what were you doing? Yeah. So, I mean, my first full-time job in sports media was working at the National Post uh, as uh, I think it was technically my role was called web producer. I was the night web producer. So it would come in, my paper was put to bed actually a little bit after um, just to make sure everything went up online. So it was like four to midnight kind of shifts. And yeah, I mean, I started there at a really great time um, and, you know, Eric Kareen was oh, yeah. my colleague, um, Sean Fitzgerald, um, John mm-hmm. Lott, like they're all still like, well, John Lott retired, but I mean, they all have been my colleagues for a really long time. Eric and Sean obviously still work with me at The Athletic. And so, yeah, like my first job basically was working the desk there. And um, I liked the shift too, because you got to see kind of the paper put together. I wasn't in charge of that part of it. I was more focused on the web. So for example, like a Eric might file his Raptors story after the game and then, you know, one editor would look through it and then it would go to me and then I would look through it, you know, post it on the web simultaneously. Someone else is looking at it and then pointing like putting it on the paper Um, and then the paper goes and gets printed. And so that was my first job in sports media. So it was 
basically a, a desk job. And I got to do a little bit of reporting when little things opened up. Like at the time, my editor knew I really liked tennis. So mm. he would let me he let me cover the Rogers Cup one year. Um, cool. I would fill in a little bit here and there, mostly on Leafs um, and finding like little things to do stories on, whether it was just something I pitched or like anything. But yeah, no, my first job was web editor. And I was honestly an editor for the first, what, like, three four years of my career I think Mm. like it was a while that I worked as an editor and and now you're obviously covering um the Blue Jays for the Athletic and uh, you've mentioned before just now about working in news and I know I think you said somewhere that you have a passion for those human interest stories and features what do you enjoy about writing those um pieces especially in the sports landscape or in a Blue Jays context Well, I think early on, I mean, so I, you know, just back up a little bit. So at the time that I became the Blue Jays writer, I think you asked earlier, like, were you always wanting to be a baseball writer? And I would say no, it was, I just wanted to be a writer. So I had been an editor for quite a long time, or it felt like a long time to me. I know it wasn't in hindsight, it wasn't that long, but uh, I had sort of just gotten to a place where I really felt like I wanted to be challenged again. And I did go to school and I did want to be a writer. I wanted to be a reporter and and coming up, you know, at the CBC internship and stuff I had done, like producer roles, chase producer roles, all these different stuff. And every time I did those jobs, it was like, I sort of, I like aspects of this, but every time I got to do like a reporting job, I was like, this is what I really like. Like I do like being part of every aspect of the story. And so I knew that I wanted to be a writer. And so basically long story short is that at the athletic, we kind of had an opening um, on our blue Jays beat. And I just kind of put up my hand because I was here and I said, can I just help out on the blue Jays beat Um, at the time? John lot was still working for us, but he kind of wanted someone, he was sort of getting towards the end of his career and he wanted someone else that would be around to help a little bit. And, you know, I was able to do some travel that year because he wasn't too, keen on doing a ton of travel so I basically put up my hand I was like I want to be that person and that was 2018 that would be my first season sort of covering the Blue Jays and I just kind of took it and ran from there and so it wasn't necessarily like oh I want to be a baseball reporter it was like this is a this is a a door opening and I am going to like like rush through it because this is my chance to at least see what it's like to be a sports reporter. If the same scenario had been on the Leafs or the Raptors, I would have just been like I want it. It just it so happened that it happens to be baseball. And so then I started working on baseball and I found that it really did um kind of mesh with who I am. I'm like a I'm like a very routine oriented person. Mm. Um I love, you know, the everyday nature of baseball is sort of its blessing and its curse. I mean, yeah. curse in the sense that it can be a lot of work and you do get very tired and it can be a grind when you're like doing a 10 game homestand or whatever it may be. But the blessing of it is that you just get so many opportunities to tell stories. You know, it's like a player. If a player goes like oh, oh for four or if I go like eh, I didn't really like my story tonight. It's like tomorrow's a new day. I can kind of get another crack at it, so to speak. And so to answer your question about the human interest, like I think it was because initially I didn't come into the sport of baseball being like so, um, I don't know, like enamored with baseball in the sense that like I wasn't an expert on stats at the time. Like, you know, baseball is definitely at the forefront of advanced stats. Um, and 
I wasn't totally on top of that. I knew some stuff. I knew the obviously the basics of the game. I had followed the Blue Jays for my whole life. My dad was a huge fan or is a huge fan. And so I was very familiar with the sport, but certainly like it was intimidating to come onto a beat where you had all these people that were so knowledgeable about the team, so knowledgeable about like the history of baseball or so knowledgeable about statistics or analysis or anything. Right. And so I think for me, I just was like, well, what I can do really well is I can talk to people. I can interview people. I can probably ask questions that not other people ask or think about. I can think of story ideas that not a lot of people think about. So I'm just going to lean into that. And so like, I remember early on, I think this was my first year on the beat. Um, might've been my second, but I think it was my first. And I did the story on like Marco Estrada at the time, mm. obviously the former Blue Jays pitcher, he used to wear this robe and it was a gift from David Price years earlier when they made those playoff okay. runs in 2015. And there was a few players in, on the team that technically still had the robe, but the only one that ever wore it. And I swear every single day he would wear it everywhere. You saw him in the clubhouse, he would wear this robe. It was like his part of his pregame routine. Mm. And so I just did a story on how, why he loves the robe so much. And I remember that being like one of the first stories where I felt like, oh, this is kind of really me kind of leaning into the style that I like, where it's a story about a player that people care about, but it's maybe this different side of him that you wouldn't normally see. Mm -hmm. um, it's a little funny. It's, you know, has all these things. And so I think for me, like now I'm a lot more comfortable doing different styles of story, whether it's like news style analysis, deep dive stats. Like I've taught myself a lot and I've learned a lot just covering the sport and I've had great teachers um, alongside me and great colleagues that have helped me all along. But I think initially um, and my first love has always sort of been like storytelling, um, uh, like you said, human interest stories, profiles of people, learning about the like the person behind the athlete, I think has always been something that I've just really liked to do and like finding unique angles at things has some been something that I've always felt like maybe it's a way that I can stand out in this um, arena where maybe other people stand out because of their analysis or other people stand out because they just have such deep institu institutional knowledge of the Blue Jays. I felt like at the time, the way that I can stand out maybe is just like doing different style stories that no one else is going to do or think about. And and when you, like you've alluded to it, how baseball is such a um, stat driven game, right? And, and to have a human interest or how do you sometimes mesh those two together and, and bring a bit of stats into the story behind a player or the team or whatever the case may be. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's just always motivations behind a player or there's always a story to how the player got to where he was. I mean, I remember last year, for example, like Santiago Espinal was having a great first half with the Blue Jays, um, putting up great numbers, really kind of solidifying himself as a major league player he'd been good for the previous two years but sort of obviously he gets voted into the all-star game or I guess got selected for the all-star mm -hmm. game later on in the season um and so I remember doing a story and it's like yeah you could just write a story about his numbers what he's doing really well um how he's hitting how he's embracing an everyday role and that would be a really good story but there has to be sort of more to it and I had sort of heard um maybe just being around him and heard things about him, how hard of a worker he was, where he came from, all this kind of stuff. And so then, yeah, you just start 
making calls and, and learning about this player. And then you get this really rich story where it's like, yeah, he's always been this guy that's maybe been overshadowed a little bit. Um, but every coach that's had him just talks about like the work ethic and where he came from. And, and, um, and so I think for me, like it just kind of broadens the story out a little bit. And mm-hmm. it's not to say like, you can just do the stats analysis and that's a really good story. And you can also just do a, a, um, a story where you're explaining where, why a player got drafted or where he grew up or whatever. Um, but blending the two, I think gives like a full portrait. Um, and I think it also, for me, it's like for, I know some readers, maybe they're not super interested in always the human interest stuff or always the background on players. Um, but generally speaking, I think most readers like a little bit of both um you know some and some people that aren't are just want the stats probably just aren't going to click on it and that's okay um but for me like I think there's always a way to do a little bit more and I just like to insert more human elements in my stories as much as possible you know whether it's an anecdote to start a story like you know remembering the playoff loss last year for the Blue Jays and I think it was like, I think it was after the first game. And I just remember seeing like Alec Manoa, like sitting at his locker, like looking very distraught and some players going up to him and obviously saying things to him and just kind of describing that in the story, as opposed to just opening up with, you know, the Blue Jays lost, whatever the first game was for nothing. I think it was for nothing. Yeah. So just like finding little moments and stuff where you're like, you know, reminding people these are players, but they're also people. They have a backstory. They have other interests. They have passions. They, hmm. I think that's always been something that I've liked to do. What have you thought of the Blue Jays season so far? It's been a bit of an up and down ride, but uh, what have you thought of their season? Yeah, I think it's mostly been good. Honestly, I think that, yeah, I mean, maybe some ups and downs a little bit recently um, in this last like week or so. But I think for the most part, they've been playing really well. I think for the entire season, they've been at least on a 90 plus win pace. At some point, they've been on a 100 win pace. They've had a hard schedule to start, obviously starting on the road for basically two weeks. Um, they haven't played a ton of home games. Like they've got to sort of play catch up on home games. And so I think that they've done well to get through their schedule um, as well as they've done. I think they're a different team than they've been in the past. The offense maybe isn't quite as explosive as we've seen in recent years, but I think that that what they've done is they've made it a lot more, um, they've made it a lot more varied in that they can sort of do different things. So having guys like Kira Myers, your ninth hitter, obviously a lefty, having Brandon Bell inserted in the middle. I know it's slow start for him, but obviously he's coming on, coming along well now. Um, if he can hit for power, Dalton Varsho as well, again, kind of a slow start, but he's coming around too. And so if those guys can hit for power, you're just giving, um, you know, opposing pitchers, obviously different looks, a little bit harder to game plan for you when they were, as opposed to when they were sort of, heavy right-handed all kind of aggressive swinging style especially the top of their lineup was like that and so you know and so even like a guy like Whit Merrifield like yeah he's right-handed but totally different sort of um hitting style excuse me hitting style as like you know Vlad or Bo mm-hmm. right who are usually especially aggressive so I kind of like the sort of new look that they have I think it's probably a lot more dynamic for a playoff team as well be being able to mix and match a little bit better I think the pitching has been probably a little um 
more up and down than you'd like to see. I think that my inclination is to think that it probably will normalize, especially the rotation, given that you're looking at basically five, five-ish guys that kind of are known for their durability. Now I know like Kikuchi, not so much the track record of success, but certainly he has the pieces to be successful and we've seen him be successful so far this season. And so even if you're going to get what you're going to get from him and he's a, a number four, number five, like that's all you really need from him. I think Kevin Gosman may be a little bit more inconsistent than you'd like to see, but when he's been good, he's been really good. Alec Manoa is maybe the one guy that you're sort of like, eh, what's happening so far. Mm-hmm. But I think again, like you can bet on the track record. And I think that there was probably signs that regression was going to come looking at some of his numbers last year. It's like a lot of hard hit balls um, were kind of not going out. And there was some things where he was maybe getting a bit of luck, a luck on his side last year. So you see some regression, but I do think he'll probably normalize too. So maybe we're not talking about a sub three ERA or like a, I don't need David sub two ERA last year. He had a really great ERA last sub year. Three, sub three. Yeah, sub three. Okay. So I think probably you're looking at more like three and a half, maybe up to four this year, just depending on how things go. But <laughs> I think that's still fine. Um, so yeah, and the, and the bullpen seems to very much be reliant on the pitching, uh, sorry, the starting pitching. I don't think that anyone thought like this was going to be like a sh- total shutdown bullpen. I think this bullpen is exactly probably average to slightly above average with a really, really great closer. And I think that the bullpen is obviously the easiest place on the roster to tweak a little bit in season. And so I think if you, that's sort of the least of my worries, I guess, on this Jays team. So yeah, I think they're going to work through most of their early season inconsistencies. And I think what we saw in Boston was probably the absolute worst they could be. Um, (laughs) And, you know, it's just a really bad series for them where a lot of things went wrong. They didn't play very sharp, but I would say the way that they had been playing prior to that, I think is more who they're going to be this year. I just wanted to ask a little bit about Vladdy. Like he obviously had a wrist injury, missed a couple games last weekend. Is that anything serious? And and what have you thought of his season? Has this maybe been the best season of his career, at least if he kept it up for the rest of the year? Um, Yeah, I don't think the wrist injury is too serious I think we'll kind of have our answer to that if he plays in Philadelphia or not um but it's something that he's kind of dealt with last year as well a little bit so it's probably something that he knows how to manage and one thing about Vlad is he's he's actually doesn't get enough credit for how well he's stayed on the field he's never been on the injured list since he joined the major league team um obviously he's missed a few games here and there but he's routinely played like 160 161 uh he'll obviously assuming nothing goes wrong this year like he could probably get close to that again I mean he's missed two games now but um you know as this is well I mean it's hard to like look at the 2021 season and say that's not going to be the best of his career because he was incredible that year the way he was hitting the ball I mean, obviously 48 home runs tied for the league lead probably would have won MVP if not for Shohei Otani being a two-way incredible player I mean, he was the best hitter in baseball that year, or certainly best hitter in the American League. And so it, that is such a high ceiling that he set for himself. I really think that is probably the ceiling. But although I would say that if anyone can better that, it would be Vlad. I think he's off to a pretty good start, um, or really good start, I should say. And But I think there's always like more there for him. You know, I think that he's looked good in the sense that he's he kind of came into the season saying he's going to be better 
disciplined at the plate and he's done that, you know, he's hitting the ball hard. I think he's hitting less ground balls. He's getting the ball in the air more. So I think he's made all the adjustments that he needs to make. He looks great at first base. He's kind of continuing that um, trajectory there as being a really great defensive first baseman. And so I've definitely really liked what I've seen from him. And I think like, honestly, it might even get better, especially when the weather gets warmer. Um, The roof is open at the Rogers center more consistently. Yeah. I think, I think he's looked really good and, and, but I think there's always another gear with him, which maybe we'll see him hit at some point. Um, I want to ask about his, his uh, fellow teammate who was amazing in 2021 and was still good in 2022, but definitely had a down year in, in Bo Bichette. He's hitting at such a great rate. He's less, he's, uh, he's uh, swinging less at um, like he has a lower swing rate. Sorry. Um, what have you thought about his approach to the plate this year that might be different from years past? Yeah, well, he's, like you said, he's not striking out as much. He's just making a ton of contact. And I mean, he's being as aggressive as he ever has, but maybe he is swinging at better pitches. I think he is laying off some of those bad pitches, those, um, you know, pitches away. You're not seeing him kind of chase as much as maybe we have in years past, um, and he, he just makes a ton of contact. I mean, that's the thing that everyone always talks about, Bo. It's like the two strike ap- approach with him where he just like hits another gear. He's just able to stand these at bats, uh, foul off a bunch of pitches until he gets a good pitch to hit. And it's funny, like you'll see Bo and he'll put this great at bat up or he'll hit a ball and he just won't hit it the right way. And he's so frustrated. Like he, he can have like three hits that night. And if he doesn't get his fourth, he'll be so frustrated. That's just who he is. But yeah, I mean, he's having a great season. He's doing it kind of quietly. Like I know he's standing out, but I guess like because of the way that Matt Chapman has started this season, like he's been, you know, obviously he was the AL player of the month. He's best hitter in the American League for the first month of the season. And so even though Bo's definitely having a great start as well, he's kind of been overshadowed a little bit from some of his teammates, Matt, you know, Vladdy a little bit. Uh, which I would say Bo's probably just fine with. <laughs> I think he just likes to go do the job and go play and then go home and, and repeat the next night. He doesn't need all like the accolades and the awards and stuff like that. He doesn't really keep up with all the sort of milestones and the recognition that he collects. He's just kind of all about like playing, winning, that kind of thing. But yeah, it's been fun to watch. I definitely think he kind of found something last year, late in the year where he just was like, I'm just going to embrace who I am. Not going to try and be a player that people want me to be. I'm just going to be the player that I know I can be and who I am. And that player is really good. And I'm just going to just going to do that. And he obviously kind of tapped into that last year. I guess it was September where he had that crazy good month and he's really carried it over. I mean, even in spring, it did not look like spring training for him. Like he looked like locked in, ready to go right away. And I want to ask quickly about Matt Chapman. He's, he could be the MVP maybe if he kept this up the whole year, we'll see. Um, But he's hitting just like almost like a hundred points better than he did last year. What, what have you seen in his approach and maybe, what he's doing differently at the plate from, from last year. Yeah. I mean, well, he's talked about sort of adding that, that toe tap um, approach at the plate. And that's obviously giving him kind of, I think the way he described it is like a more of a fluid swing. Um, He's also done, I think like, I haven't checked the numbers like very recently, but last time I checked them, he's not pulling the ball as much. And everyone that I've talked to that, um, knows Matt Chapman and kind of have seen him over the years. They always say like when he's at his best, he's going to 
putting the ball up the middle, going the opposite way, you know, middle right field. He's doing that a lot. He just hits the ball so incredibly hard. Like he's one of the guys where you talk about like Vladdy and Bo and BP, even Springer, like you think of those guys, but Matt Chapman hits the ball so hard in BP. Uh, I think he kind of takes guys by surprise guys that don't know him very well, like that recognize like how, um, how incredibly hard he can hit the ball. And you'll see that in games. Like he is probably like the king of like hitting long fly ball outs. I mean, yeah, obviously yeah. they go out quite a bit, but man, I've seen so many balls of his. I'm like, that has to be out. And then it dies at the morning track. Um, again, I think he'll benefit from warmer weather. And when the roof opens a little bit at the Rogers Center, I think the ball will fly a little bit more for him. And um, the thing is, yeah, he just hits the ball incredibly hard. I think he's still leading the majors in like hard hit balls. Um, yeah barrels all that kind of stuff um and he's just kind of a a really great kind of player to be around for the team I know he's looked upon as a leader he's really fun he keeps things loose even though he's incredibly serious on the field um he's very loose in the clubhouse and he's obviously a really great defensive third baseman as well I mean watching him I think you kind of take for granted a lot of stuff that he does out there like I remember watching him at first uh, when he got acquired here and you're like, wow, those plays are so incredible. And then he makes them so routinely now that you don't even think about them. You know, he makes, he makes them look easy, which a lot of times they're not. He's, he's also an impending free agent. Is there any chance that Jays bring him back in your mind? Oh, I'm sure there's a chance. Like the Blue Jays are a team that does their due diligence and they, look into their own players and and players like they would consider you know they would definitely consider him the way that they've considered you know previous free agents that obviously have ultimately departed but definitely I think that those two sides are open to it I know Matt really loves the Blue Jays organization um he loves playing in Toronto he loves you know the team that he's on and so there would be interest. I mean, I think there'd be interest on both sides. He obviously is represented by Scott Boris. And so Scott Boris is going to be out there looking for the absolute best deal for Matt Chapman as he should. And I think there's going to be a lot of teams that are interested in Matt Chapman's services, just given how he's good. He's playing this year. I I think, you know, this is just me speaking. Like I I think the Blue Jays should do whatever it takes to keep him because I just think he's such a difference maker, obviously maybe even accounting for some um, downward trend in his defensive play that might come. I just think like, you know, there's some guys in the organization maybe um, that can come up and play third base, but no one can do it the way the match happened does. So, and you know, if, if he's kind of unlocked something in his swing this year and he's going to keep it up, yeah, it's going to be very expensive to to pay. And I, I do understand the Blue Jays had to sort of consider Vlad and Bo long-term as well as some of their pitchers too. And, and other guys too, Danny Jansen, you could go down the list. There's a lot of guys that are going to have to start paying soon. Um, but, you know, I, if I were them, I, I would seriously consider, you know, folding Matt Chapman into that, into that. And we'll have to see though, like we'll really, that'll be one that'll be definitely really interesting to watch this off season, I think, because um you know, I think that he'll have a lot of suitors. He'll obviously be the best third baseman on the market. And there'll be a lot of teams I think that could really use his skills on both sides of the ball. Um, I want to ask a little bit about uh, Ross Atkins and, and uh, Mark Shapiro. Obviously they've been at the helm now for what, six, seven years. Um, what do you think their job security is right now? If the Jays don't make it far in the playoffs this year and, 
and maybe lose in the wild card round. And, and what have you thought of their tenure as uh, the management group of the Toronto Blue Jays? Um, yeah, I think that, I mean, let's see. It's an interesting question. Like they both have lengthy sort of contract deals. I can't remember. I think Ross signed one last year that was probably five years so. in length. I think yeah. Mark similar. Um, and so it's not like either of them are sitting ducks, so to speak, the way that like Kyle Dubas is right now. Um, and it's it's interesting because they talk a lot about process. I, I hesitate to say sort of automatically if they make no noise in the playoffs, either of them are done. Like, I really don't know if it's that cut and dry. Baseball playoffs are weird. Um, I think if it was like a scenario where they didn't make the playoffs or they had a real sort of late season collapse or something like that, then it probably becomes more realistic but i mean a wild card to a three game series it can go so many different ways you know baseball players again they're so weird you can see you know, like teams like the dodgers right that are consistently great they just they don't get through in the playoffs sometimes yeah. it happens so i think that it's it's harder to say sort of definitively from this far out like what would happen i think it would really depend on how if they've got bounced early in the playoffs, how it happened. Like, was it a roster construction thing or was it just weird luck, right? Like the way they lost that game against the Mariners last year. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen a a stranger game than that. And most people around baseball would tell you the exact same thing. Like the, everything that could go wrong happened in that game. And it's like nothing. It was like, everything was going the Blue Jays way. And then absolutely nothing was going that way. So like, it's hard to take stock of, something like that and and sort of rule like definitively say like well this person's job is on the line i can think and this organization is so pro- process oriented too um that it's hard to say from this far out again like what would happen but to answer your other question in terms of you know how they've run the organization i mean mark specifically um on the business side has done a, a lot for this organization and the renovations have been sort of game changing i think for the blue jays talking about the facility in Dunedin you know it's world-class best facility in baseball now and there's a lot of teams that want to go and see it because they want to sort of copy and mimic what the Blue Jays did um the Rogers Center obviously was one of the oldest stadiums in baseball now and it's your sort of handcuffed of what you can do with it it is what it is it's a big concrete building but I think the renovations this year look really good I think fans have been really happy with them. And, you know, there's a lot of front facing renovations that they've made that fans have been able to see, but there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff that they've done for the team as well. Whether it's like building um, new base or batting cages, um, building a new weight room, um, new family room, all this new amenities for the players and their families. There's more of that coming in the second phase of the renovations. And so, um, you know, I think in that way, like they've done a really good, a lot for the organization in terms of kind of controlling what they can control is what they always say. And it's a sense mm-hmm. of like, you know, in baseball, there's a lot that's out of your control. You can't control what other teams are going to spend. You can't control the CBA. You can't control all these, the schedule, all these kinds of things, but you know, you can control what you do for your own players. And yeah, it matters what talent you have on the team. And the, obviously the blue Jays have also done a good job of acquiring talent um, spending when they said they're going to spend. I mean, that's the thing too. There's, a lot of years I remember were like sort of coming into this job in 2018 and there was a whole different reputation the Blue Jays had in terms yeah. of like they wouldn't they wouldn't sign free agents and 
since I've been covering them, they've signed a ton of free agents, yeah. Hun, Hun Yu. Um, uh, Robbie Ray wasn't a huge signing or anything, but he was acquired. And then obviously he had a great year. Marcus Simeon, um, Kevin Gosman, um, George Springer, George yep. Springer. Yeah, of course, George Springer. And then trading for guys too. We talked about Chapman, but Jose Brios, uh, you know, again, maybe the jury's still out on that trade, but obviously it's looking better now that he's off to a really good start this year. So um, I think that they've done a good job in both sort of the building the roster, um, drafting pretty well. Alec Manoa, probably one of the better draft picks of the last few years. And so they've done sort of good roster building, roster construction, not perfect, but no team ever is. Uh, but they've also done a good job sort of behind the scenes and, you know, putting their drafting and, and, and acquiring talent. But then when they get that talent, sort of putting them in the best position to succeed by having great facilities, um, hiring good people, all this kind of stuff. So, you know, I, not to sound like too much, too much of a homer, like, but you know, it's hard to fault them for a lot of the good things that they've done for this organization. Um, you know, even in the short time that I've been around it, like I've seen a huge amount of change that looks like it's definitely good change. Like, it, you know, players are very happy working or playing for the Blue Jays organization. Um, I want to ask you a little bit about John Schneider. Obviously, it's his full first full season at the helm of the Blue Jays. What have you thought of him as a manager so far this year? Some people, I mean, as a manager, everyone's critiquing him. So um, what have you just thought of him as as manager this year? Yeah, I mean, I think his strength is really communication and um, knowing how to talk to the players, knowing how to like relate to the players in terms of knowing when maybe when one player needs more of encouragement or when one player kind of needs more of a, a kick in the behind, as they say in baseball. Um, I think that he's really good at kind of reading the room, reading the situations with his players. I really think that's quite a strength of his. And I think the players all feel very comfortable with him, which is, I think, another strength. Like some of them, it's because they've known him for so long because they've come up with him through the minors. Some of them is just kind of getting to know him over the last couple of years, even prior to being a manager, he was a coach on the Blue Jays. So being comfortable with him just in the Blue Jays setting. Um, so I think that that's probably his strength is he's, I would definitely characterize him as like a player's manager. I think that that's who he is and that's what he's really excelled at. And, you know, he's also got a lot of good connections with the Blue Jays. I think that's the other thing, like a lot of the coaching staff and like, um, or training staff or just people in an organization, like he has a history with them. So it it just feels like everyone in the organization is very comfortable with him, which I think I've definitely noticed. I mean, I think there's always growing pains for a new manager. I think that, you know, the one thing is always bullpen management. I think that that's probably the hardest thing to do as a manager more than anything. I think with his lineup, he's. I don't, I think he's kept it pretty consistent. And I think like if you're quibbling with his lineup, it's probably that just a little quibble. It's you're probably nitpicking. Um, I think the lineup, he's kept the top of it pretty consistent. Um, and I think that he sort of listens to players where they want to hit and where they feel comfortable as well. But yeah, I mean, bullpen management is probably the one thing that's always tough. Um, I think it's probably something that you just have to sort of get a feel for and experience for. I also think that like sometimes when it goes right, the manager looks like a genius. And when it goes wrong, he doesn't. And a lot of times it comes down to pitcher execution, right? It comes down to not executing a pitch, but the manager obviously usually takes the fall for it. So 
I think that it's helpful to have Don Mattingly beside him. I think he's talked a lot about how helpful yeah. um, Don has been in that position. Obviously, he's experienced everything you can in baseball, both as a player and a coach and a manager. So he brings a ton of experience. And I think he's a good um, good person to have beside Schneider because he often talks about how like they will um, you know, discuss ideas and go back and forth. But it's not like Don Mattingly's just there being a yes man to him. He's obviously yeah. questioning him um disagreeing with him which john schneider always says he loves you know so it's i think it's really good um and pete walker's also really um been there for a long time kind of knows how to manage a pitching staff as well and so i think the fact that like you have those two guys that are basically his his right hand men there in the dugout um really kind of helps him as being kind of a a newish mlb manager although he has been managing for a long time in the minors and uh before i let you go i, I want to ask you how how do you like the chances of, of this Blue Jays team maybe going to the World Series, maybe winning the World Series? Like how possible do you think this is for, for this team this year? I mean, obviously they have aspirations to get to the World Series, right? Like, I mean, every team does in theory, but I mean, only a, a handful mm-hmm. of them sort of have the real talent and, uh, and you know, intangibles and stuff to go that far i i do i would put the blue jays in the category though as one of the teams that certainly feel like a contender like i said they've been playing at a really good pace um yeah i think that being in the al east just has so clouded i think the success that they've had this year i think basically almost any other division outside of i think the nl east yeah because the braves have a better record than them but any other division that they would be in including like the nl west which has the dodgers and the padres in it um they would have like the best record in most other divisions. Right. Um, But they're third in their own division because of the way that the Rays have obviously started the season and the Orioles have started the season really well. Like they are a really good team too. And so I think that there's probably a little bit of um, not really realizing how well the Blue Jays have been played and almost their play has kind of fallen under the radar, which maybe is not even a bad thing. Like I think the way that the Orioles and the Rays have sort of sucked and also the Yankees being not so good has kind of sucked up so much oxygen in the end in the American League East that the Blue Jays are like really flying under the radar. They've so far had a pretty like not newsworthy um, year, which is a good thing. I think like, I mean, maybe newsworthy good if they had like a long streak or something, but they haven't had major injuries, haven't had much controversy. They're just kind of winning the games they should win. They're losing a few you wish they maybe won. But other than that, I think they've been sort of just like where you thought they would be. Um, and so, yeah, I think they have a chance. I I do think that like they really are aiming to win the American League East. I think they're, given what happened last year, um, as weird as that series was with the Mariners, you look at it and you say, well, how do we best not let that happen again? Well, the best option is just to win the division and avoid the wild card altogether. And so I think that's kind of where the Blue Jays' motivation is. It's still, I mean, I think they're seven games back right now. Yeah, the Rays, it's, it's, yeah. it's, you know, there's a lot of time left and we'll see. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that they they definitely have the talent. I think they are one of the better lineups. Maybe not, again, like as explosive, but they're a very talented lineup. I think they're pitching. When it's all going, it is really good. So if they can sort of take some of those inconsistencies away from the rotation, then you're looking at, you know, I think a really, really dangerous playoff rotation if you're talking about like a Gosman, Bassett, Barrios, and... and um, and Manoa and then maybe you move to Kikuchi in the bullpen in those situations um and so yeah I like them as a contender I mean it's still early in the year anything can happen so we'll see 
Um, but I would say for the Blue Jays, the real motivation right now is winning the division. I think they really see that as not to say they can't go another path, but I think looking at winning the division kind of being their their best path, I think, towards their ultimate goal of getting to the World Series. Well, thank you, Caitlin, so much for for taking the time and, and coming on uh, this podcast. I want to just give you the floor. And is there anything the listeners should kind of keep their eyes and ears open for uh, uh, open for in terms of any work or, or pieces coming up for you uh, from the athletic? Um, well, yeah, I, um, I mean, I write pretty regularly at the athletic. So um, just check the Blue Jays feed there and you'll probably see some stories from me. I am working on a, a sort of bigger story. Um, about Matt Chapman right now that should come out in this nearish future. I, I don't exactly know when it's going to come mm-hmm. out yet, but um, and it'll kind of be what we talked about, sort of combining sort of, um, you know, the person, the player, um, the stats, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, look out for that soon. And yeah, obviously follow me on Twitter if you're not already. Caitlin C. McGrath. And or if Twitter continues to exist, I guess yeah, it's always the sort of the, yeah, yeah it was the <laughs> sort of caveat we have to put in front of that now. Um, and yeah, subscribe to the athletic if you're not already. Well, I'm definitely subscribed to the, the athletic and I've, I'm definitely excited to, to read your piece on uh, Matt Chapman and everything else. And I, I hope for your sake, uh, you see the blue Jays go to the world series, maybe even win a world series. And, and uh, that'd be pretty fun for you to cover. So um, thanks so much, Caitlin, for coming on and taking the time. Yeah, of course. Thank you.